Hey, welcome back to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, October 22nd, 2023, and I'm here with a few thoughts on Ohio State's massive 20 to 12 victory over Penn State in the Horseshoe yesterday afternoon. This was a top 10 clash, number three, Ohio State against number seven, Penn State. Now, I thought I had a pretty good handle on this game going in. My prediction was Ohio State 20 to 9. I said in our preview pod on Wednesday, I didn't see how Penn State would score more than 10 points in this game. My bold prediction was that the Buckeyes would hold Penn State out of the end zone. And for 59 minutes and 30 seconds, that prediction was pretty spot on. Now, Penn State would score a garbage time touchdown with 29 seconds to play to make the final margin look more respectable. Now, after Kenyatta Jackson sacked Drew Aller on 4th and 30 with 3.04 to play, giving the ball back to the Buckeyes at the Penn State 33-yard line with a 20-6 lead, Ryan Day got stupid conservative. He called three consecutive runs for Mayan Williams that went nowhere. James Franklin called a timeout after each one of those carries. Day would run his field goal unit onto the field, and Jaden Fielding would miss from 45 yards out, giving the ball back to Penn State. Now, Day said in the postgame, he should have never put his defense in the position to have to go back out on the field in a two-minute situation. Now, when the Penn State offense took the field with 2.36 to play, trailing 20-6, to they had a grand total of six yards of offense in the second half, and they were 0 of 15 on third down up to that point in the game. Now, Penn State would convert its first and only third down on that last drive. Drew Aller would hit Caden Sanders for an eight-yard touchdown pass with 29 seconds to play, which was really the only highlight of the afternoon for the Penn State offense, and it meant next to nothing in this game. I think this game was a classic case of how two seemingly opposing ideas can both be true at the same time. This was a great win against a legitimate top 10 foe, especially when you consider the personnel the Buckeyes were down. No Emeka Ibuka, the best slot receiver in the country. No Denzel Burke, who's having an All-American season at cornerback. And no Trey Henderson, again, who's their only big play threat at running back. And a player who hit Penn State for big runs in both the 2021 and 2022 games. At the same time, it's also true and I said this in the preview pod on Wednesday, the Penn State offense is low-key bad. And I actually don't think we can say low-key anymore because it was exposed on a big stage yesterday. And you have to give the Ohio State defense a ton of credit for exposing it. But it's crazy to me how many of the national pundits, guys like Brady Quinn and Matt Leinert, who both in the Fox pregame picked Penn State to win the game, it's crazy to me how the national pundits mostly whiffed on this game in their predictions when it was so obvious if you took five minutes to look at the numbers that Penn State was going to struggle mightily against the Ohio State defense in this game. I mean, if you watched any of Penn State's only two road games prior to playing the Buckeyes, and that was against Illinois and Northwestern, you could see this performance coming a mile away. Drew Aller completed 48% of his passes with no touchdowns, and the Penn State run game was held to 4.1 yards per carry against Illinois, who stinks. And against Northwestern, Aller completed 54% of his passes, and the Penn State run game was held to 3.5 yards per carry in that game. Northwestern stinks. Now, I think Penn State 
is a bad offense with good players. I think Drew Aller, Catron Allen, Nicholas Singleton, Olu Fashanu are all very good football players. Fashanu is going to be a top 10 pick in next spring's NFL draft. And I think there are elements of the Penn State offense that are very good and efficient. They don't turn the ball over. Penn State still leads the country in turnover margin. They came into yesterday's game as one of the best red zone offenses in the country. They were third nationally in converting their red zone opportunities into touchdowns coming into yesterday's game. And they were also a very efficient offense on third down, though their ranking in that stat is surely going to plummet after yesterday. So it's not my intention to diminish one iota what Ohio State accomplished in beating a very good Penn State team yesterday, who I still think is a top 10, top 12 team. But there was no world in which the Buckeye defense wasn't going to dominate that matchup with the Penn State offense. It's really on the other side of the ball where I was most impressed by Ohio State. I mean, no Emeka Ibuka, no Trey Henderson, a beleaguered offensive line that many believe would be totally overmatched by the Penn State pass rush. And let's not kid ourselves. It was tough sledding for the better part of four quarters for the Ohio State offense. And after Kyle McCord led Ohio State on an 11-play, 57-yard drive to kick a field goal on their first possession of the game, he looked mostly unsettled for the rest of the half. McCord completed his first five passes of the game. He then threw seven straight incompletions. The Buckeyes would be forced to punt on their next three possessions. And McCord just, he appeared rattled by the Penn State pressure, even when he wasn't that pressured. Uh, I, I thought actually he was getting decent protection most of the half from his offensive line. I thought his receivers were open. The game hit rock bottom for McCord early in the second quarter. It was tied at three, and the Buckeyes were driving. The offense found a little bit of a spark in the run game with Mayan Williams, who helped get the ball down to the Penn State 26-yard line. But on third and 11, McCord was sacked by Penn State linebacker Curtis Jacobs, who would force the ball loose, scoop it up, and run it back 60 yards for an apparent touchdown. But Penn State was flagged for defensive holding on the play. Marvin Harrison Jr. was... He was totally mugged by the Penn State defensive back on the play. So the Buckeyes would get new life on that drive. Mayan Williams would eventually punch it in from two yards out to give the Buckeyes a 10-3 lead. And it was a lead, as it would turn out, they would not relinquish. But after that series, McCord was clearly rattled. He would need to regroup at halftime. And I think Ryan Day sensed that. A lot of fans were frustrated when Day elected to take a knee at the end of the second quarter with 42 seconds to play and all three timeouts. But I think that was a spot where we saw the maturation of Ryan Day as a head coach. He recognized his young quarterback playing in the biggest game of his career so far, was rattled and needed to regroup. He also recognized that his defense was playing lights out and dominating the game. He had a lead and his offense would be getting the ball to start the third quarter. So I think taking a knee in that situation was obviously the right thing to do. I'm not sure Ryan Day would have done that a year ago or the year before that. He may have taken an unnecessary risk in that situation. So I give him credit for doing the right thing in that situation. It was good situational coaching on Day's part. So I give him credit for that. And look, it worked because Kyle McCord was much better in the second half, 11 of 14 for 161 yards and a touchdown. Now, it would take a couple of series for the Ohio State offense to get things going in the second half, and things did get a little dicey on their second possession of the third quarter, which is probably their worst possession of the game. The Buckeyes would take over at their own seven-yard line, leading 10-6, to 
After McCord hit Marvin Harrison Jr. for eight yards and a first down at the Penn State 21-yard line, a false start and then a holding penalty would push the Buckeyes back to their own nine-yard line. McCord would then be sacked at the Ohio State four. Then Mayan Williams would be stuffed for no gain. Jesse Merkel would have to punt from the very back of the end zone. And Penn State looked to be in awesome shape at that stage. But, and I think this was a huge turning point in the game that would have made Jim Tressel very proud. Murko hit a 72-yard punt that was downed all the way back at the Penn State 24-yard line. And I think after that, the Buckeye offense got rolling. Their next three drives went for eight plays, 63 yards, which ended on downs at the Penn State 2-yard line. I really thought Ryan Day should have just kicked a field goal there and take the points. Then nine plays for 71 yards and a field goal. Then six plays for 43 yards and the game-sealing touchdown. McCord to Marvin Harrison Jr. from 18 yards out on third and 11. So the high State offense found their groove in the second half eventually. And, and I think you, you have to go back to the end of the second quarter with Ryan Day recognizing his quarterback was a little rattled, get him into half, settle him down a little bit. And, and I think, uh, you know, after a little bit of a shaky start in the third quarter with those first two possessions, McCord finally did settle in and, and the offense finally settled in and, and got the ball moving. Marvin Harrison Jr. was magnificent yesterday. 11 catches on 16 targets for 162 yards and a touchdown. Harrison had 80 yards after the catch. 10 of his 11 receptions went for first downs. Gus Johnson kept calling him Maserati Marv, which, I mean, give Johnson props. That is an awesome nickname uh, for Marvin Harrison Jr. I said it in the preview pod. One of the many advantages I saw for Ohio State in this game was that they had the best player in the game, and that's, that was Harrison. And he played like it, and then some in this game. I think that performance yesterday, you know, without his running mate, Emeka Ibuka, vaults Harrison into the Heisman discussion, and I think it makes him the favorite to win the Bolitnikoff Award. Now, I also thought Cade Stover was huge again yesterday. He caught all four of his targets for 70 yards, and I think Stover has to be squarely in the conversation for the Mackey Award right now, especially with Brock Bowers at Georgia on the shelf with an injury for the next four or five weeks at least. Stover was really big for the offense yesterday, again, with Noah Mecca-Buka, and really, other than, you know, in the second quarter, really no run game at all. I also thought the Ohio State offensive line played pretty well yesterday considering the competition according to pff only 10 quarterback pressures allowed by the offensive line against that vaunted penn state pass rush now the buckeyes caught a break with the injury to chop robinson in the first half but adisa isaac and danny dennis sutton were still out there for penn state and while it was short-lived the buckeyes did get solid production out of the run game from mayan williams 53 yards on 13 carries in the first half Williams ran for 26 yards on Ohio State's touchdown drive in the second quarter, and that included the two-yard touchdown run. I think you've got to credit the offensive line for opening up a few holes there in the second quarter. Um, Look, I think the Ohio State offensive line has been good enough where it really counts, and that's in pass protection. And they've been good in some key spots this season in the run game. Doug Maurice said in the postgame that he's not sure Ohio State is going to see a better defense than Penn State until maybe the playoff. And I agree with that. Now, Michigan is certainly going to be very good on defense, but I don't know if it's going to be better than Penn State's defense. So I think there's really good reason for optimism that the Ohio State offensive line will hold up similarly 
on November 25th in Ann Arbor. Back to the run game for a moment. Dallin Hayden, I mean, it seems to me more than ever, there's a role for him in this offense. I think he could have helped the run game yesterday. And if the big knock on Hayden is that he's a liability in pass protection, well, it's hard to imagine him being worse than Chip Trainum and Mayan Williams were yesterday in pass protection. According to PFF, Trainum finished with a pass blocking grade of 5.5. He was smoked on a corner blitz that led to a McCord sack. And Williams was better, but still not great. He finished with a pass blocking grade of 42.8. And I think between the three, Hayden is the best ball carrier right now. We don't know when or if Trey Henderson will be back this season. I just don't understand not using Hayden right now. It's, it's, it's one of the few nitpicks I've got of the Ohio State coaching staff in this game. I think you've got to get Dallin Hayden involved in the run game. You, you really do. It's all hands on deck. You do have to continue to be a threat running the football. I know it was against a great defense, and they may not face a, a you know a stiffer test defensively uh, until maybe the playoff. But let's get Dallin Hayden involved in the run game. Also, another quick observation on the run game: it looks like the Devin Brown red zone package is unfortunately on the shelf for the foreseeable future. Brown rolled his ankle on a red zone carry during the third quarter drive that was eventually stopped on downs at the Penn State 2. But I thought Brown got a nice five-yard gain on second down on that drive. It got the ball down to the one-yard line. And I think if Brown doesn't get hurt there, the Buckeyes would have punched it in with him on one of the next two plays. I'll admit it, I was wrong and Paige was right. I, did, I didn't think we'd see Brown in that situation against Penn State after he fumbled on the goal line last week at Purdue. It's just a goddamn shame he got hurt uh, because now the quarterback situation is somewhat precarious with Brown on the shelf. Tristan Jebia is the next man up there. I mean, the Buckeyes need to take special care to protect McCord from here on out. I mean, if anything happens to him, it's Jebia who's next in line. And Jebia is, look, he's more of a graduate assistant than a player. And after Jebia, it's true freshman Lincoln Keenholz. So a little precarious there. Let's hope that Brown's injury, I believe it's an ankle, isn't that serious and he can work his way back you know into the lineup over these next couple of weeks okay just a quick look at the performance of the defense then i'll let you get back to your sunday i said marvin harrison jr was the best player in this game well right behind him was jt tuimolo wow in fact you could probably say harrison was 1a and tuimolo wow was 1b in this game Now, JTT's final stat line only shows one sack and one batted pass, but he dominated this game in the second half. I think the defensive play of this game for the Buckeyes was Tui Molowal bullrushing Penn State star left tackle Olu Fashanu into Drew Aller's lap on fourth and 30 to force another sack. Now, Kenyatta Jackson was credited with the sack on the play, but it was Tui Molowal overwhelming a future first-rounder in Fashanu that made that happen. Tui Molowal led an Ohio State pass rush that generated 26 quarterback pressures and four sacks on Drew Aller. Tui Molowal had six of those pressures plus the sack. Those 26 pressures were a season high for Ohio State, and I believe the four sacks were also a season high. Drew Aller finished the day 18 of 42 for 191 yards. 73 of those yards came at garbage time, you know, in that touchdown drive in the last two minutes. The Penn State rushing attack was held to 49 yards on 26 carries. That's 1.9 yards per carry. 
only 3.5 yards per play for the Nittany Lion offense, and they were a staggering 1 of 16 on third down in this game. Four sacks again for the Ohio State defense, eight tackles for loss. Caden Curry and Sonny Styles also turned in sacks yesterday. Five pass breakups by the Ohio State secondary, including two by Josh Proctor, who continues to have an excellent season there at the adjuster. I thought true freshman cornerback Jermaine Matthews played very well. He was pressed into duty because of the Denzel Burke injury. Matthews and Davis and Igbenosin tackled extremely well for the secondary. Igbenosin finished with a tackling grade of 81.3. That led the defense. Matthews, I think, finished third with a grade of 78.5, according to PFF. I thought at linebacker, Cody Simon flashed. Simon had a great play on what I believe was a first down run by Penn State where he shot the gap and dumped the running back for a three-yard loss. Overall, I thought the play of the linebackers was really, really good yesterday, much better than the previous two or three weeks. The defense is the heart and soul of this team. You know, when Ryan Day likes to talk about his team's toughness, it's really the defense I think that he's talking about. That is the heart of that toughness. And look, this defense gives the Buckeyes a chance against anyone, anyone, in my opinion. Uh, We're talking about against Michigan, against Georgia, against Florida State, Washington. I would put this defense on the field with any of those teams. It gives Ohio State a chance to win any of those games. So big picture, what does this win mean for Ohio State? Well, it means a hell of a lot, right? They're in great shape in the Big Ten East obviously. And if they end up in a three-way tie with Penn State and Michigan, the Buckeyes would own the tiebreaker and would go to Indy as the Big Ten East champs thanks to Iowa's loss to Minnesota yesterday. Please don't ask me to explain that because I can't. But that scenario would also involve Michigan losing at Penn State and Ohio State, God forbid, losing at Michigan and all three teams finishing the regular season with one loss. Now, a ton of football left to be played. It's a tad premature, I think, at this stage to talk about tiebreakers. And I'm going to go on record right now that Michigan ain't losing to Penn State. I know that game is in Happy Valley, but Penn State just doesn't have enough offensively to win that game, I don't think. Now, assuming they handle business next week in Madison against the Badgers, and I don't think that game is a gimme, even with the injury to Tanner Mordecai, but more on that later this week. I think the Buckeyes have a solid case to be ranked number one in the first college football playoff rankings, which come out on October 31st. Look, they own two of the best wins in college football on the road at Notre Dame and Penn State. I'm not sure who who else has a better resume right now, to be honest. I think the Buckeyes, assuming they beat Wisconsin, will be no lower than number three in the first rankings. I think that's that's a guarantee. They will almost assuredly be ranked ahead of Michigan, who looks great. And they've been steamrolling everyone. I give them credit, including a hapless Michigan State team last night. I think Michigan won that game 49-zip. But their schedule is going to keep them behind Ohio State in the playoff rankings, at least until Michigan beats Penn State. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Look for a preview of the Wisconsin game from Paige, Chad, and myself, probably this coming Thursday. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks. been listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com